Okay, welcome back to the Ad Nutrition Podcast. We're on episode nine and we have a real special guest. He's actually our business mentor and he trained us in motivational interviewing. So welcome Gary to the podcast. If you can tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what you do. Cool. Thanks for inviting us on. Good to be here. Um, right. Uh, my background is in personal training. I've been a personal trainer for 28 years, far too long, need to retire. Um, <laughs> uh, my first degree is in applied human nutrition and my PhD is in men's weight management. And a big part of that is psychology of change and behavioral change. So that's kind of how I ended up in this field. So I work quite a lot in that area. I'm a qualified sports dietitian with Sports Dietitians Australia. So I work with elite athletes right through to general public. So really broad. Um, following on from our research, I kind of did some research in New Zealand with the Maori and we found that the weight management system and all the behavior change stuff worked with them. So we know it works in different cultures. And one of the problems we had was public health wanted to adopt it. So it meant that we couldn't turn people down if we didn't think they were psychologically ready. We had to have a way of getting them psychologically ready. And so that's how I learned motivational interviewing, because that's designed to take people that are ambivalent about change and move them to a point where they're kind of ready to change. And so I learned motivational interviewing. And I was really fortunate because I was trained by Stephen Rolnick and Bill Miller, the two guys who actually pretty much came up with MI. So I was pretty fortunate there. And then when I did the advanced MI, I was trained by Terry Moyers, who's the leading researcher from the University of New Mexico in California. So I've been real fortunate to just about have the best of the best teach me. So really good. I've got a diploma in cognitive behavioral therapy as well, because I think MI and CBT kind of intermix really well. And I've also done a qualification in counseling because I think working as a coach, you end up as a counselor anyway, without really realizing it. So yeah, I've kind of done a few bits and pieces. Yeah. So um, you're educated in a thing or two. <laughs> I know something I know something or other. I don't know yeah. what. Well, <laughs> I can say sounds like it. <laughs> from firsthand, just working with Gary, our coaching has changed dramatically. We as dietitians, we learn a little bit about MI, but it's like brushed up training. And um, if there's any coaches listening, if there's one thing you can take from this is you think, you know, am I, unless you practice it, um, you can know the stages of change, but unless you've learned it and practiced it, um, you don't know it. So if you'd ask me and while as an internship, like, yeah, I know am I, but now I look back, I mean, Gary can tell you our first videos are horrible, but. Um, well, they weren't horrible. And certainly now, what are we kind of six months to nearly a year, I think? Yeah, you guys are becoming really good at it. I mean, I, I can see all the elements there now. So the difference from when you started to what you do now is, you are now becoming quite expert at it, which is great for your clients. Yeah. So, quick question for you here, Gary. Uh, what role does the mindset play in making healthy habit changes for weight loss? It is the biggest factor there is. It, it, I'm always telling trainers, I said, you can be a real expert in exercise and you might be able to write me the best program going and you could be a dietitian with all the knowledge in the world. But if your client isn't psychologically ready to make a change, then actually all that expertise and information is a complete and utter waste of time. Because unless people are ready to make a change, they won't implement a change and you can give them this really rich and accurate information. But effectively, what will happen is it will just go in one ear and out the other. 
and really getting the brain into the right kind of mindset to start moderating habits, that's the bit that's going to make stuff stick because then it's going in and they're thinking, oh, yeah, I might use that and I can see how I can incorporate that. But healthy habits are difficult. And people talk about, oh, I'm 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 going to change my habits. It, it That's rubbish language. You can't change habits. <laughs> habits are there for life. What you can do is you can introduce new habits, which will supersede the previous ones, but you can't change a habit. It, it, it's a, a kind of a misbelief almost that you can do that and you can't. Yeah, you practice the new habit until it sticks and then eventually... I always, I always kind of look at it as everybody's got software, PCs and so on. And especially if you're on Windows or whatever, updates come out quite regularly and you update your PC or your laptop or whatever, or your phone even. But you can always revert to the old software if you need to. And that's exactly what your brain does. Your brain's got a habit and now you introduce the new habit. But unless you really persevere with the new one, what the brain will do is it will go back to the old one because it knows that and it knows how to use it. That's why people yo-yo diet. That's why people who are giving up smoking will most probably try five, six, seven times. It's because they've tried to establish a new habit, but it's not been strong enough. And so they've gone back to the old habit. And this kind of goes right into um, this next question. So can you describe like the stages of change and actually what it looks like? like? a real client going through like a specific scenario and what it is and how like long it really takes to make those new habits happen and why and describe the changes and why relapse that is normal and what you can do to kind of move through these stages of change. Yeah. So if you take something like diet, diet's a classic one and healthy eating. So when a client starts out, their their diet could be rubbish. They could be using takeaways and sweet foods and snacks and blah, blah, blah. So at that point, when they're doing all that, they are in what we would call pre-contemplation. And that basically means they're not thinking about making a change. Not in, You could tell them to your blue in the face, don't do that because you're going to have heart attack and obesity and diabetes. Not interested. That's a pre-contemplator. Then maybe some event happens in their life. I don't know, maybe somebody in the family has a heart attack or a stroke or whatever, and they start to think, oh, I don't really want that to happen to me. And so they start to look at what their diet looks like. Or maybe they jump on the scales and they think, damn, I don't want to be that way. Or they can't get into a dress they could always get into. Whatever it might be, there'll be some event. And that kind of gives them a bit of a nudge. So they start to think then about, oh, well, maybe I should do something. They're not necessarily going to do something, but they will be thinking about it. So that is what we call contemplation. And you can stay in that stage for a hell of a long time. People can be in contemplation for six months, year, two years, three years. But with time, if certain events kind of go in the right direction, what will happen is there. another kind of model that we use in psychology is called decisional balance. And that was that comes from Janice and Mann. And they said that when people make changes in their life, they basically take a spreadsheet approach and they look at the pros and cons. If your pros and cons are about the same for a change, so if you're thinking about, all right, I want to eat healthily, and then your next thought is, yeah, but I really enjoy chocolate cake, then we've got one pro, but we've got one con. So we're pretty even. Now, that's ambivalence. That's We describe that as you're ambivalent about the change. You kind of know both sides of the argument, but don't want to do much about it. 
And this is what MI is designed to help with. So it's to take those people that are contemplating, even pros and cons, and help them increase their pros, reduce the cons. And if we shift them enough, we move into the next stage then, which is preparation. And when people are in the preparation stage, their pros are outweighing their cons, and now they're really thinking about change. They're like, yeah, I really should do something, and maybe I could do this, and maybe they'll talk to you guys because they've seen you on Instagram or they've seen your website or whatever it might be. They're not still not 100% there, but they're definitely getting nearer, and they might send you an inquiry, how can you help me or whatever. That's preparation. That generally will last six weeks to 12 weeks, somewhere in that time frame. Eventually, then they kind of get in touch with you guys, say, yeah, I want to start working. They kind of make a commitment. They're now in action. They're doing something about it. They've signed up to your program. They want to do it. Now, hopefully, because you guys have got the MI skills and everything else, you're now able to help them keep moving forward. And somewhere down the line, they get into the last stage, which is maintenance. Mm -hmm. And somebody's in maintenance when they've achieved their goal they don't have to think about it anymore, and they're kind of happy with how things are going. So that's kind of all the stages of change and how it might work. The most important part of the stages of change in some respects is relapse. You can relapse at any time. It doesn't matter what stage you're in, whether it be contemplation, preparation, action, or even maintenance, you can relapse back to an old behavior. So this is this, going back to your old habit. So you have to remember and have to understand that when you start on this journey with you guys and you're trying to make these behavior changes, from time to time, and excuse my French, shit happens. <laughs> and when it does go a bit pear-shaped on you, if you're ready for it, then you can think, all right, I know how to manage that. I'll just kind of get back on the horse. The problem comes when nobody talks about it. And then when it does happen, you're, and it's a term from cognitive behavioral therapy, you catastrophize it. You're kind of, oh, it's a disaster. It's like, oh, it's all gone wrong. And in psychology, we call that, and it's, it was coined by some researchers from USC, and they said it's called the what the hell effect. And it basically, it all goes wrong. You go, ah, oh, what the hell? I'm going to add the pizza. I'm having the wine. All goes pear-shaped. Then they beat themselves up because they've done that. And then they think, oh, well, sod it, I'll do that tomorrow. And, oh, I'll start again on Monday. And then, of course, Monday never comes and you drop out of the program. So understanding all these psychological effects, which obviously you guys now do because you've done the workshops, is really important. And it's important for clients to understand because then they are likely to be more successful because not only are they getting the nutrition, the exercise activity information, but their brain is in the right place to process it and use it. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, April. Yeah, no, that's definitely <laughs> And it goes like to talk about like um, why actually doing a lifestyle change is important versus thinking kind of all of that all or nothing mindset. Yeah. And yeah. then we also know that, you know, and Gary, uh, um, you know, as far as like short-term dieting and meal plans, there's a lot of yo-yo dieting out there, people uh, partaking in that. And then also uh, nutrition coaches out there throwing blanket meal plans at clients. So how how is that helpful or not so much when it it's comes not. to... Yes. Comes it's really to, not helpful because all you're doing is every time you try one of these fad diets... 
you will undermine your own self-efficacy. And um, and we know from my research, I know that as people manage to lose weight and reduce their waist size, there's a correlation between that happening and self-efficacy increasing. So if every time you do one of these fad diets or some coach tells you, oh, you need to cut out all your carbs because carbs are bad or whatever, yeah, you'll lose weight, but it's weight, not fat. And I don't like the term weight loss. I think we should move to fat loss because it's, are you reducing body fat? That's what you actually want to do. It's like people say, I want to be this weight. And I'll say, when I I don't work with many clients these days because I'm too busy teaching. But the clients that I do work with, they'll say, oh, I want to be this way. And I say, no, you don't. And they're like, oh, what do you mean by saying that? I'm like, what you really want is you want to be this dress size or that trouser size. And they're like, well, yeah. I said, well, that's got nothing to do with weight. That's got to do with fat and body composition. And I always use the analogy with with weight management, with fitness as well. It's like climbing a mountain. And when you're you suddenly get to that point where you're thinking, I've got to do something about this. You're now at the peak of the mountain. You're on the summit. You're ready to plant the flag on the top of the mountain. At this point, you've got two options. You can jump off the mountain. In other words, get rid of all the weight. And I use that inverted commas again. Get rid of that real quick. So that's your fad diet, your quick fix, whatever. But that's the equivalent of jumping off the mountain. And generally, if you jump off a mountain, it hurts. And it don't do you a lot of good. I'll have clients like come in and, and tell us like, well, this isn't strict enough. Shouldn't I be, you know, being more strict on my goals? Should I be cutting out carbs? And they're just ready for that again sometimes. And that's probably them not being fully mentally ready for that change yet. Them thinking like it's just another diet kind of. I'll get that quite often. People always say to me, well, you're a doctor of nutrition. Can you write me a diet plan? <laughs> and I'll say to him, I've been 15, 20 years a nutritionist. I've never written a diet plan. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I've worked with elite athletes. I've been a, a nutritionist for, for professional football clubs, what have you. Never wrote a diet plan. And they're like, oh, I just want something to follow. I said, look, you know how to eat. You know how your jaw moves. So just make sure you're putting the right things in there. So... And I'm, I'm a, my mantra and whether it's politically correct or not, I could give a toss, but it's basically your lifestyle got you fat and only changing your lifestyle is going to get you thin again. And if you can't buy into that, then you're not actually ready to make the change yet. Because if you're looking for that pill quick fix, it will be a quick fix, but you'll put all the weight back on and most probably more as well. And April, I agree with you. When when clients come to you and they say that, oh, yeah, but I need to be this size in six weeks or whatever, I'm like, which limb should we chop off then? Because it's like it ain't happening that quick. And I'll always say to them, how long has it taken you to get to this weight? And they'll go, oh, well, when I was 20, I was this weight. And when I was in my 30s, I was this. And now I'm in my 40s, I'm this weight. I'm like, so basically we're talking 20 years. I said, so it's taken you 20 years up that mountain. I said, well, I hate to break this to you, but it might be a good 10 to 20 years back down the mountain because we're only going to walk back down slowly. Mm-hmm. So there, there really is no such thing as quick. Well, there is such a thing as quick weight loss, but there is not such a thing as quick fat loss. It's a metabolic, biochemical, physiological process that you cannot speed up. You are only going to get rid of a pound to two pounds of body fat, depending on how overweight you are in the first place. 
on a weekly basis. So it, it you have to buy into it's going to be a long journey. And it's a really like the sum of your habits over years is what actually is the body composition that you can keep because I've been just a macro coach where I've put clients on strict diets, but then um, they'll lose the weight weight and some body fat quickly, but then they go back to their old habits. And so that's not a body composition they can keep anyway. And then they just want to do like do something strict strict again um, or another strict meal plan. And it's just kind of like still in that cycle. And so um, now that we have the behavior change, like we still use macro tracking as a tool, obviously, but it's oh, not yeah. just, just that. Like it's, they're knowing why they need protein each meal, like at bare minimum, like their baseline habits, if they're not tracking, they still know to build balance plates and things like that. So um, I guess what I'm saying is like, it's really huge to think of, it's not what I'm going to do the next 12 weeks. It's how am I going to set my lifestyle up for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years to accomplish that body composition change for life. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate all these six-week, 12-week transformation programs because it's like, yeah, you might get some type of transformation, but it's not going to be permanent. Well, um, and I always think one of the key questions I can ever ask a client is, how many diets have you tried in the past? And they'll go, oh, well, I've done this one, I've tried that one, I've done that one, da, da. And, I, and then I'm like, well, and yet you're here now. Uh, yeah, but I've heard you're the expert in this field. And I'm well, I might be the expert in this field, but I'm telling you now, I'm not giving you a diet. I said, because if you look at the word diet, we're all on a diet because the definition is the food you put in your mouth. Mm -hmm. So what you have to accept is, unless you're willing to do something very different to what you've tried in the past, you're going to end up with the same outcome. You're going to see the weight go off. And again, weight, not necessarily fat. And then you're going to stop doing whatever program you're doing and you'll put it all back on again because you go back to the lifestyle that got you fat in the first place. Mm -hmm. So what you have to buy into now is you're going to start to make changes and I don't want you to look at this as, oh, well, I'll just do this while I'm on the program. Whatever changes you now adopt, you have to think to yourself and your mindset has to be, this is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do going forward forever. And if you can do that, then you've got changes that are going to work for you. Yep. Um, Gary, I started training with a personal trainer this past week. And I was in there and um, the trainer was having me do all these things. And in my mind, I was going, I don't want to do that. Why are we doing this? I'm not here for that. Like, I don't want to do kettlebell swings and I could care less about jump squats. I want to lift heavy and I want my form fixed. And the only thing I kept thinking was, OMG, clients, because I was a client and how they must feel when they have zero autonomy. So Gary, kind of go over the importance for coaches and any nutrition coach out there listening right now Give it to us on autonomy, the importance of it, and why it's so important for you to have full autonomy so you can be successful in your goals. I, I think a lot of coaches, and it's kind of our fault, it's the industry's fault, because we teach coaches, we even teach nutritionists and dietitians to a degree, oh, just tell your clients what to do and they'll do it. And that might work short term, and it might not work at all, as with you, where you're just there thinking, I don't want to do this, but I'll do it because you say. 
autonomy is crucial. Everybody needs to see their coaching role or their nutritionist or dietetics role, whatever it is. It should be even. It should be on a par. I am not here to tell you what to do. I am here to guide you, but I will listen to what your thoughts are about that. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. All I can do is give you the information and then you need to process it and go, yeah, that's for me. And that's what autonomy is about. And a good coach, good dietitian, whatever it might be, will always ask their client what they think about it. They will also try to offer them options. So we could try this this way, we could try this this way, we could try it that way, or maybe you've got some ideas. By offering choice and that most important last option, maybe you've got some ideas, is so important because quite often your clients have actually got the answers. They might not realize it, but if you give them the opportunity to think it through and tap into the knowledge base they have, they may well come up with an answer and there is far more chance that you will make changes if you feel that you've got ownership of that change because actually you thought of it. So it should feel really collaborative all the time. The coach should be alongside and they're basically steering the client. So you can kind of think of it, it is a journey. At the end of the day, you're on a journey, whether it be for fitness, whether it be for weight loss, whatever, and there's an end goal. And that end goal might be a certain dress size. It might be a certain level of fitness, being able to run a marathon, whatever it might be. But there are many different ways you can get to that goal. I can take a straight line on a motorway or a highway, um, but I might want to go the back roads and kind of go all around the houses. But I still end up in the same place. And it's up to the coach to just provide information to allow the client to navigate that journey. And so it's very different. It's not a case of just do this, it'll work. It's more a case of let's try this, see how it goes. Yeah. And what's really interesting about that is we're now using this in elite sport. Even, even in some elite sport now, they've gone away from the coach going, do this, do that, more of a collaborative thing. And if mm -hmm. you think about it, think, you know, like the NBA, the NFL, these athletes know what they're doing for Christ. They don't need a coach screaming and shouting. They understand that. So working collaboratively with your athletes and saying, right, okay, how do you think we can manage this? You're bound to get better outcomes. Plus, nobody likes to be told what to do. Exactly. And I work with oh, Western uh, sports athletes, and some of these men, they don't eat fruits or vegetables at all. And I couldn't imagine treating them like the same person over and over again and being like, you have to eat your five servings fruit and vegetables starting out right off the bat. Um, you have to quit drinking five, six sodas in the morning and beers on the weekend, like immediately telling them that. Like they know that. Like they they don't need to tell you. Um, but you got to meet that client and got to meet you where you're at because they just need to start maybe eating one fruit or vegetable a day, maybe cutting back to half their sodas being diet sodas. Like they don't, even though it's not optimal, but you can't just expect to change their whole lifestyle in a matter of one week of a diet plan because that's when they fell and have that all or nothing mindset. And by making those couple of little changes, what tends to happen is they start to recognize that, oh, I feel a bit better for that. And now we're kind of back to that self-efficacy and, and the other aspect is capability. The COM-B model is really important in terms of motivation. So that's capability, opportunity, motivation. All of those three are needed before you see a behavior change. 
And so if you're building the athlete's capability in this case, as you just mentioned, they'll notice that. And then they'll think, oh, do you know what? That works for me. Maybe I'll try something else. And the very fact that it's them thinking, oh, I'll try something else, far more likely to happen. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a slow process. Which is exactly kind of what happened in this case. Like usually I like most of my clients the food journal and he straight up was like, I don't want to journal. I was like, we don't have to journal. I'm like, what do you want to do? He said, can I just write out a meal plan and send it to you each week? I said, absolutely. Ever since he did, he's been doing that. He's been um, getting back to a better composition, seeing progress, and he's really been liking it. But if I would have kept forcing him to journal, he'd have kept spelling out it over and over. And so that's why it's important. But Shalina, I want to take it back to the personal trainer. How would your personal trainer react to you? (laughs) A little bit. Well, he just kind of looked at me and he was like, okay, we don't have to do it. I was like, okay, good. Because I'm not going to. (laughs) But you know, that's a little bit of me and my strong-willed personality. But he's like, okay, so what do you want to do? And I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, okay then we'll do that. And I said, okay. And I walked out of there feeling so much better. I had, I mean, I was, I was direct, but I have a direct personality. So I can only imagine for someone that's like passive and just thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to, and keep doing it because they're either trying to please their coach or they're thinking it's the only way. Um, It would just be uh, less enjoyable. The bottom line, you're not going to be happy throughout the process. Going to training today, going in, going, okay, I'm getting to do what I, I, I need, want to do and what I need to get from this. So different. Different day, better day. That should have been the first question that trainer asked you. Oh, I know, Gary. Gary, what, I know. What, what are your goals and what do you want to do? Because <laughs> I, you've I got that knowledge. Now, if it's another another client might go, oh, I really don't know. What should I do? Now, that trainer has now got permission to give information. And, and even then they should go, well, we could do compound exercises on free weights or we could yeah. do kettlebells or we could use flexi bands and then the client's going to go oh out of them that one sounds like the one i'd really like to try now they're totally involved in the process and they don't leave the gym thinking i bloody hated that i'm not doing that again and that's when they cancel and quit because then they think that that it sucks and it's not something they can do so It, it It's really important especially with exercise and diet really it should be fun and enjoyable yeah because if it's not, you're most probably not going to do it. And it kind of comes back to yet another psychological model, which is self-determination theory. And if you've got what we would call intrinsic motivation, in other words, it's coming from you because I'm the one that wants to go to the gym and I want to do that, then I'm likely to do it. But if it's extrinsic motivation, in other words, it's the trainer saying, make sure you turn up at six o'clock because this is what we're going to do, you're far less likely to go. And so by involving the client, one of the things that builds intrinsic motivation is enjoyment. So it should be enjoyable. It shouldn't feel like a chore because if it feels like a chore, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to do it after a while. Yeah. No, and, and it felt like they were. <laughs> if you're a coach or personal trainer listening to this and you feel a little called out, you should. You absolutely should. And you need to reach out to Gary to change your. Uh, yeah. if, if your personal trainer is doing that, you've got the wrong personal trainer. I'm telling you now. And your nutritionist, too. If someone's writing you a meal plan, you got the wrong person at that as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. They want your before and after photos. They're, they literally want that fast transformation. And then 
they're not going to be the ones actually caring what you are doing three, five, ten years down the road. So. You've got to wonder about the ethics of nutritionists and dietitians that do that because they've got enough training to know that those type of short-term quick fix diets are not the answer. Exactly. So That's what's why, why are they even doing it? Yeah, it's all about something else at that point, right? It's not about the actual individual person, like caring about their well-being as a health and wellness professional. They're out for something else. And that's that's true. Yeah. The big thing in MI is being genuinely caring for your client and wanting the best for them. And yes. if, if you haven't got that, then you must probably shouldn't be a coach anyway. Absolutely. And if it was like, if the client even wants to be the person who wants that fast, you know, rapid weight loss, you'd be doing them a disservice by, I mean, client autonomy, obviously, like if you want to try it, try it, but here are my concerns. But if you don't mention those concerns and uh, you just straight up let them go for it and you're just wanting to get the before and after photos, that's just, that's just sad. No, that's not the way to be. And if you can live with that, fair enough. But yeah. you're not a good coach if you do that. So switching just moves here. Um, so when a client comes to you, what would the advice you immediately have for someone who just wants to get started, find a good coach? Like what would the first initial steps be to start with like their weight loss goal or just overall behavior change? What advice would you give clients? I think go to a, a coach that listens to you first and most probably a coach that doesn't overload you either, just maybe gives you a couple of things to do. You're going to be gung-ho. You'll want to change everything because that's the nature of the beast. When we get to this point where we're ready to change, again, another psychological term, and I think what is good about the podcast generally is it shows you how much psychology overarches everything. But when somebody starts a new program, signs up to a gym, goes to a nutritionist, dietitian they will be suffering from what we call barrier underestimation. And what that basically means is they are super excited about starting with a new coach, new program, signing up to the gym, and they underestimate how difficult it's going to be going forward. It's almost like they forget every other attempt they've ever tried, whether it be to get fit, lose weight, whatever it might be. It's like they, your brain goes, ah, forget about that. We're just doing it this way this time. Whereas if your brain was being realistic, it would go, just remember this was difficult last time and we gave up early or whatever. But that doesn't happen. And so they're super confident and they want to make loads of changes. A good coach will go, I love the fact that you are motivated and you're buzzing, but I'm telling you now, just make a couple of changes and let's make sure they work and then we'll build on your success. Because if we make loads of changes, I always use the uh, the inverted pyra pyramid kind of anagram. And that's basically, pyramid is got a wide base, goes up to a point. Now, if you go on a quick fix diet and you allow barrier underestimation to get in and you make all these changes, we're basically starting out with a really wide base because so, there's loads of changes. Now what's going to happen as the weeks go by, you're going to drop them one at a time until eventually you end up with no changes whatsoever. So hence the inverted pyramid. What I want to see is let's start at the point and now let's build on the successes. And as they stick, oh, well, we'll build on that. 
And now my base is getting wider, but it, it takes me a long time to get there. But at least all the changes I've tried, I know work. I always say to clients, it's very much going to be suck it and see. You're going to come back to me some weeks and go, that really works. It's brilliant. I don't notice I'm doing that. That tells me you're pretty likely to stick with that. Equally, you might come back the next week and go, oh, that was really difficult. The kids played up. The car wouldn't start. I had a rubbish day at work. Just couldn't be bothered. That tells me, well, if you can't do that when you're working with me, you're definitely not going to do it once we stop. So bin it. We'll try something else. And so there's going to be a degree of, we'll chuck that away. We'll keep that one. And hopefully we get to a point somewhere where we've got enough things that work. It might not be perfect. And we haven't turned you into Michael Jordan overnight, but you're fitter, you're healthier, and you've got changes that you can stick with. And if you achieve that as a coach, you've done a great job. I've had clients, um, like an initial call, I, you know, I'm telling them like how this works. And I actually use that very uh, analogy, like when we're starting, and then sometimes they'll fire back. Can we just lose the weight first? And then I work on that. Can I just lose it quickly? I've had it happen a couple of times. And I was like, I just wanted to, you know, gather <laughs> my thoughts, but I'm like, how does that work in the past? <laughs> you know, but it, it doesn't. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. And they feel like they, they want the quick way there. But in reality, the quick fix usually is a long road. That's usually the longer road. Like when they want to do that again, it's maybe like it feels slower because they're used to doing extreme dieting. But if you look past the past 10, 15, 20 years, and you doing this exact same thing, trying to lose weight quick, it's actually in the longer road. So I try to tell them like, you might not see progress with me as fast as what you're used to weight loss progress on the scale as fast as what you're used to seeing. But year, two, three years down the road, I guarantee you're going to be a lot further off, closer, closer to where you need to be versus just cutting it like super quick and trying to do that again. It's a bit it's a bit like being in a maze. And it's like you keep taking wrong turnings. Well, all the time you keep taking wrong turnings, you're staying in the maze. You're never getting out of there. Mm-hmm. What the coach is able to do is they can see the maze from above. And they can say, Oh, well, you need to go down there and you need to turn left there and you need to turn right there. That's going to take a while, but that will get them out of the maze eventually. But without the coach kind of giving them that guidance, well, they're going to stay in that maze forever. And that's your quick fix diet. It's like, yeah, try it, do it for six weeks, but you're staying in the maze if you do that. Mm-hmm. We just have to remind them like, yes, I, because it's in their head that A, they've lost weight before doing the fad diet, the quick fix. So they know it's weight, you know, whatever, but they know they've done it. So they think, they're going to come in and do that kind of sort of thing again. And that's where we have to start like re-educating because um, they know they, you know, it can happen. And it's just. The brain is, the brain is very good at getting rid of the rubbish memories and keeping the good ones. Right. I, I was in the force. I was in the forces before becoming a trainer. And one of the things that everybody used to say, and I spent 13 years, they always said, never get posted back to the same station because it will never be the same as what you remember it. So you kind of remember every posting because, oh, we did this and it was great, but you don't remember any of the rubbish that went on. And if you were to get posted back to that station again, it would be so different to what you experienced last time. And yet your brain's going, should be brilliant. It's the same with quick fix diets. All we remember is, 
oh, but I managed to lose the weight and I got into that dress for the wedding and da 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 da. But then they forget that, well, yeah, but then after the wedding, you went back to your old lifestyle and actually you piled on two stone. It's like, oh, I forgot about that bit. And they never talk about that bit. <laughs> and, it, and so it, it's almost like you kind of have to remind them. It's like, okay, every diet you've done, what happened? Oh, well, I did this and I lost the weight and I, it was great and it was lovely. And then I slowly put the weight back on. And it's like, that's the bit they never talk about. It's like, well, unless we do something different, you're going to do the same thing again. And I don't want that to happen for you. Yeah, absolutely. Gary, from all your research, can you tell um, our listeners um, what needs to be done to lose weight and keep it off? Best advice. The components that will make them successful. The components of it. What goes into it? Best, Best advice would be do small things that you can stick with. Make sure you've got protein in most meals because protein is satiating so you won't get the munchies halfway through the morning or afternoon or whatever. And I think the biggest thing that's needed in weight management is planning and preparation. Because the biggest reason you hear for people not sticking to healthy eating or whatever is, oh, I didn't have time. This went wrong. That happened. Whereas if they'd have planned it a bit and maybe thought, okay, I'm cooking the chili con carne tonight, we'll cook twice as much then and freeze half of it. Now you've got a ready meal in the freezer, but it's taken you no longer to do it. And that was just a simple little bit of planning. So a little bit of planning and thoughtful will kind of get you over those days when things are a bit kind of off, out of whack or whatever. It's a bit like with relapse and relapse will always happen. You're always going to kind of have a bad day. That's just human life. But I always say to clients, when that happens... I want you to sit down at the end of the day and I want you to think, what could I have done different today that will stop that happening in the in the future? And I said, as long as you can come up with one thing, that's been really valuable because now you've learned a lesson that you can take forward in life. And most of that will be, it will be some type of planning. It will be, oh, well, if I'd had a meal ready in the freezer that I could have grabbed or if I'd have had snacks in the car that I could have used, so if you come up with that plan based off of the relapse, then we now you've got a valuable tool to use. And it's just just build on those successes. Mm-hmm. Like you used to not think of as, well, I failed, this sucks, like I don't have enough time. Is like, well, what could you have done differently? Just taking it as yeah. evaluating it. Don't get don't be guilty. Don't beat yourself up. Just literally go with the curios- curiosity mindset and ask, what could you have done differently? Why didn't it fail? And then implement it because you're not going to be perfect from the get-go. And even like, I'm sure we all do it still. Like we have weekends that get away from us, but still, but then you ask yourself, well, why did that happen? And you like, no matter where you are in your journey, maintenance is going to happen. But the big thing is just being like, okay, we can't keep doing this or I'm going to lead to a road that's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And then resetting it. But well, the, re- the researchers that came up with the what the hell effect, you know, people catastrophizing it and what have you, they looked at what the best way to deal with it was in terms of once it's happened, what is the best way psychologically to manage this? And they found that the worst thing you could do was feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. Because actually what guilt tended to do was send you into a downward spiral. And you often hear people going, oh yeah, well I couldn't do it because I didn't have the willpower. You hear phrases like that. And it's actually nothing to do with willpower. It was just planning, 
un unfortunate set of circumstances and you didn't really manage it that well. So as a coach, we should be teaching our clients how they're going to manage it when it does happen, because it will happen. I mean, this is the thing. People often think, oh, yeah, it won't happen this time. And it will. It's just, that's life, you know. When any yeah. of us learned to ride a bike, we didn't jump on it first time and ride it perfectly. We fell off God knows how many times, or your parents were holding the seat, or you had trainer wheels on it, whatever it might be. But it took us a while. And so you can almost look at dieting, reducing your body weight, improving your body composition as you're basically learning to ride the bike. And you're going to need somebody to help you with that journey, whether that be give you some trainer wheels, hold the saddle for you or whatever, because from time to time you're going to fall off. And I want you to be able to get back on that bike until it gets to a point where you can ride it without any assistance. Mm -hmm. So in conclusion, just like this whole podcast, like if you're a coach or a client, you know, your coach, respect client autonomy, or what would you say? Like just in conclusion for a coach perspective and then from the client perspective, if they can walk away from one thing from this podcast. From a coach's perspective, it's definitely respect your, your client's kind of autonomy. It's so important. And be caring. Have a genuine regard for your client. If you haven't, then you're most probably in the wrong job anyway. I always think that. And from a client perspective, it's go in with your eyes open and know what you should expect from a coach. And what you should expect from a coach is help, assistance, guidance, evidence-based information and support, but not just do this and just do that. It should not be a dictatorship. And if it feels like, oh, it's the coach is always right, they're not. As a coach, you have to accept you most probably have not got the best answers your clients have. And as a client, if, you're, if your coach is allowing you to explore what you know, and in some cases, it will be right and the coach will let you use it. But other times it might be wrong. And then your coach will tell you why, because the, the evidence shows you this, that and the other. And even then, they're still going to allow you to decide, but they've given you the balance of the evidence. And now the choice is yours. And, and whatever you choose is right, because it's your choice at the end of the day. And you mostly work with coaches now. So if a coach wants to improve their coaching skills, where can they find you? And do you work with clients? Like Yeah, I still work with clients, yeah. So where, Quite, where can they find you? Coaches and clients? On my website. www.statesofchange.co.uk <laughs> or follow me on Instagram, Dr. Gary Mendoza. Because yep. I, I post stuff regularly on there around behavior change, nutrition and what have you. Yeah, always really good posts and tips and good reminders while we're working with you. You guys, Gary's a goat. I'm telling you right now, Gary's a goat. He's a know-all and he cannot retire until April and I are sufficient in, in my enough to have our own little side business teaching coaches. So you can't retire, Gary. Uh, that shouldn't be too long then. Woo. All right. Well, we, <laughs> we ready for this opportunity. We'll get, you, we'll get you two set up coaching and then we're good to go. Yay. <laughs> well, thanks, Gary, for coming on and we'll um, talk to you here in a few weeks. Great, thanks for inviting us on. Bye.